Ronaldo vai partir para a bola, Ronaldo, Ronaldo vai partir, paradinha, atirou, golo! Já está! Já está! Já está! Welcome to Portugal Podcast number 104. Today we have a special guest as we welcome back French football expert James Eastham for an update on Portuguese players in France. Hi James, how are you doing over there in sunny France? Hi Tom, nice to speak to you. Doing very well, thank you. Good stuff. Well, we invited James back on the show because Ligue 1 is currently home to several Portuguese players many of whom Selecao fans will be hoping play a prominent role at Euro 2016. Whether they will or not, of course, depends on the progress they've made this season and the form they've shown. And that's where James comes in. He works as a scout and a journalist covering French football in depth. So, James, we have to start at Monaco, a team that normally would have uh, four players that you'd say would be in with a good shout of being in a Portugal starting lineup. Uh, right in the team, let alone the squad. Unfortunately, that number has been cut from four to three, with the uh, with the unlucky news for Fabio Coentral that he's picked up a, a fire injury, which has ruled him out of the tournament, and uh, he will miss, uh, of course, Euro 2016. Very unlucky, Coentral. Of course, he's been badly afflicted by injuries. Uh, he also. Uh, went to Brazil 2014 but got injured in the first game and missed the rest of that tournament so we of course wish him the best of luck in his recovery so uh, talking about injuries James uh, I've heard some worrying news about the midfield dynamo João Moutinho now the former Sporting and Porto player has been Portugal's most important player after Ronaldo in recent years but it seems he's had quite a stop start season in terms of form and injuries Uh, what can you tell us? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment, Tom. In fact, with Moutinho, I feel we say the same things towards the end of every season since he's been in France, which is that he's been a little bit disappointing. Right. Um, you can put it down to injuries to a degree this time. He he had an ankle injury and a thigh injury early in the season. He's been out since mid-March uh, with an ankle injury, so that's a month at the moment. From October through to February, he was generally fit. Uh, He generally played, um, but because of those injuries at either end of the season, he's only featured in 23 out of 34 league games for Monaco. How well has he done in those matches? He's done okay, but he's never lived up to expectations since he came here. There was a feeling when he came that people maybe overestimated what João Moutinho brings to the team, that maybe some fans saw his price tag, which was very big, and expected him to be winning games on his own, which obviously isn't really the sort of player he is. When that assessment changed, people did start to see some value in in what he was doing, but he has been slightly disappointing. He doesn't influence games a great deal for me at Monaco. That's why he's he's been a bit of a letdown. Um, And reading between the lines, I'm not sure he's that happy either at Monaco. Uh, When he came in, it was a very different club. He came in as part of that wave of players like uh, Falcao and James Rodriguez, where the idea seemed to be to turn Monaco into one of Europe's top teams. That project has completely changed now. Monaco's a completely different club. They had, for various reasons, a change of policy. They're now very much a selling club. They're quite interesting, actually, because what they're doing is they're, they're bringing in young players who they feel they can sell on 
for a bigger value. But Martinho came there to win trophies, and his chances of doing that are certainly smaller now than when he came in. So I think he's a little bit um, disillusioned with the way things have gone for him personally at Monaco. And if I was to assess his season, I would say it's been, I have to say, pretty average. Mm, very, very interesting, James. Of course, in Portugal, we're all getting quite excited about the amazing uh, midfield talents, which are really, uh, you know, just uh, cropping up all over Europe for Portugal. Here, here in Portugal, we've got uh, João Mario and Renato Sanchez, of course, who played so well. Then we've got players like André Gomes for Valencia. Uh, and of course the, the holders Danilo for Porto William Carvalho for Sporting uh, yeah. and so there's so many really top talented midfielders that maybe maybe uh, also judging by what you said uh, Moutinho's place in that Portugal side won't be so automatic uh, right at this moment ok uh, James last season uh, almost every week we were hearing about Bernardo Silva either scoring or providing an assist uh, from what I've uh, caught of the of the French league this season, that doesn't seem to be quite the case this season. Uh, how would you assess Silva's season so far? Has he, uh, has he does he still look good? Has he maybe taken a step down from last season? The same? What, what do you say? Yeah, I would say a step down from last season. He's been more inconsistent for me than last season. You're right; he was terrific in his first year at Monaco. We've seen less of his match-winning ability this season, which I would say is only partly down to him. Um, first thing to say is he's been in and out of the team. He's made 29 appearances for Monaco in League One, but only 19 starts. So that tells you that he's been seen as a squad player mm-hmm. rather than an automatic starter at, at some point. He is on a run in the team at the moment. I think his last 10 or 11 appearances for Monaco have all been as a starter, which has been really his first chance to develop any kind of form. And he's actually struggled to do that. He's not had the impact in those 10 or 11 games that we saw from him last year. Um, scored a good goal recently against Marseille, uh, which put him back on the map a little bit. But he's had he's had a tough time, and the feeling among certainly among Monaco fans and people I've spoken to is that he's possibly tried a little bit too hard. Um, there was a you know a feeling after last year that he was he was the main man at Monaco, that he was the number ten who could dictate the play, and maybe. Maybe he's taken that in the wrong way and tried to do a little bit too much at times. Um, I've not seen too much of that, but I do know what people mean. He, he's tried to carry the team from that number 10 position where he's, where he's played recently. In his defence, I would say it's quite difficult actually to shine at Monaco in that position. And that's for a couple of reasons. One is that the players around him, the wingers, or if he plays out wide, then the number 10, they tend to change quite a lot. So there's been very little fluidity and continuity in that side in attack from one week to the next. And the other thing I would say in his defence is that the centre-forward position at Monaco has really changed this year, mainly because they lost Anthony Martial. They lost Anthony Martial to Manchester United uh, just before the season began. That was a big surprise. People thought he would stay at least one more year at Monaco. Now, if he'd stayed and continued his own development from last year, then it would certainly have made the job easier for, for the number 10 at Monaco, whether it's Bernardo Silva or anybody else. With Martial gone, that centre-forward position has been a real problem for Monaco. They've changed it around. They've used three or four players in that position. So it's been difficult, really, for anybody who's in the team to create the play uh, to build up any sort of understanding. So I think there's a few reasons why Bernardo Silva's not done quite as well as last year. Would we have expected a bit more from him? 
Maybe, but he's not had a bad season, you know, so it would be it would be harsh to be too critical of him, I think. Yeah, very interesting. Of course, we also have to remember he's, uh, I think, what is he, 21 or 22? He's still very young. And yeah. so, uh, of course, he broke onto the scene, really, you could say, in Europe with that fantastic season last season at a very young age. So perhaps these dips of form are, uh, you know, all part of the development process. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's hope so. Okay, uh, one of a Monaco player that uh, probably uh, probably actually the Monaco player who has his place most secure in the Portugal team at 2016, injury permitting that is, is the veteran centre-back Ricardo Carvalho. Now, uh, this is despite the fact he'll be turning 38 in a few weeks. He'll be 38 uh, when the tournament comes around in the summer. Uh, James, is he still performing to his impeccably high standards? Yes, he is. Ricardo Cavalli continues to play well here in France. Maybe not to the level, you know, eight or nine years ago when he was at Chelsea, perhaps. But he's been he's been really good yet again. Um, when he's fit, he starts for Monaco. Twenty nine appearances in the league this year, and he's pretty consistent. You know, I've seen him twice live, and he played he played well both times. Uh, there are other defenders that Monaco could pick in that squad. Uh, Andrea Raggi, an Italian. They've got a couple of Brazilians there, Wallace, uh, Jemison. There are other players they could pick, but when fit, Carvalho is one of the first names on the team sheet. And, and I think it's, you know, it's just testament to his, first of all, his, his love of the game. And secondly, his professionalism, you know, that he's able to play week in, week out. A good standard in a in a good European league might not yeah, be as yeah. intense as England or, or Germany or Spain over here, but you know he's had a lot of work to do. I, I saw him in a game earlier this season where you know he was reading the game as well as he's ever read it for me, and um, yeah, he's he's clearly in good shape. Um, I know a couple of people who follow Monaco; they absolutely adore Ricardo Carvalho just because of his his consistency and his ability to um, you know be there week in week out. He seems to stay pretty fit. There have been a few niggly injuries for him to have to deal with this year. So you know, looking ahead to the Euros, Tom, it's been a pretty good run for him um, in a good team, um, getting plenty of action and staying pretty injury-free. So, yeah, another good season for Carvalho. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting hearing you talking about the way he reads the game as well. Because we see this quite often, don't we, with centre-halves. They're probably, apart from goalkeepers, they're probably the, the one position in a team where players can continue to play into yeah. their late 30s and still do a good job and uh, I mean Carvalho earlier in his career of course he did have good pace that was one of his assets I suppose that's probably waned a little bit now but uh, yeah he's always been an intelligent centre-back so uh, that doesn't really surprise me to say and of course he's got a wealth of experience and so uh, I think that will him and Pep uh, at the centre of Portugal's defence although they're both uh, you know quite quite elderly campaigners you could say I think that gives Portugal quite a good base there yeah uh, okay so uh, a quick note uh, James on the other Portuguese players at, or the other Portuguese I should say at Monaco uh, Eldo Costa and Ivan Cavaleiro uh, the, the former a very young player probably people don't know too much about him uh, Ivan Cavaleiro he had a very good uh, under 21 championship last season went to Monaco but to be honest, haven't heard too much about him this season. And, of course, the coach, Leonardo Jardim. Uh, yeah. How have those three done this season? Well, Cavalero, it's almost impossible to judge, actually, because he's had so many injury problems. He's missed most of the season. Um, he's 10 appearances, I think, about five starts for Monaco this season. And he was, he was seen as a player who was potentially going to play 
uh, maybe two thirds of the game, something like that. He wasn't seen as an automatic starter when he signed. Uh, Monaco lost a couple of attacking players. We, we mentioned Martial earlier. They also lost um, Ferreira Carrasco, uh, the Belgian winger who went to Atletico Madrid, and Cavaliero was seen as maybe a replacement for him. But really impossible to judge him. He spent so much time out that we're going to have to wait until next season uh, to see what he can do. Helder Costa's had more games. He's been in and out of the team, but he's been generally available. A couple of injury problems. Um, I've seen him twice actually live this season, Helder Costa. He's quick. He certainly scares fullbacks with his pace. I saw him playing against Saint Etienne in February, I think it was. And he was very quick. And running with the ball, he is a threat because of that pace. Uh, he played on either wing, swapping throughout the game. Seemed a little bit more comfortable to me on the left wing. Um, and is very direct. Um, end product, well, that was a bit hit and miss. Um, but he's, again, he fits perfectly into the model of what Monaco are trying to do, which is bringing in players, not necessarily cheaply, but players they feel they can sell on for more in the future. And they see Helder Costa and Cavaliero fitting into that mould. Now, they won't always get it right, but the feeling is uh, that if they bring in enough of these sort of players, um, then eventually they'll hit the jackpot. We saw they did that last summer with uh, Jeffrey Condogbia, the France midfielder who they sold to Inter for something like 35 million euros. So Helder Costa and Cavadiello are part of this long-term project. I'd say Helder Costa for a first season, he's done okay, um, not being uh, a key player for Monaco, but certainly potential there. Cavadiello will have to wait until next year really to assess mm-hmm. Um as for the manager, Tom, well, interesting, really. Leonardo Jardim, for me, has done a good job. Uh, he's had a difficult time at Monaco in the sense that uh, the project has changed completely from what it was. It was initially about becoming one of Europe's top teams. It's now all about bringing in young players and selling them on for a profit. And he's handled that with with very few complaints. He's got on with it. And the results have been, have been good. You know, Monaco have been second in the table for much of this season. But it's starting, there are a few problems in the sense that Monaco haven't played that well. The standard of performance has been has been pretty low. They're not great to watch. They're seen as a pretty defensive side. So despite results being good, there has been criticism of Jardim, both from fans and also a little bit from the media. And it's hard to know whether he'd be happy with that because he's had to work in, in pretty difficult circumstances. And we'll point to the results and say, listen, you know, I'm working with a very, very young squad of players here. Um, they lost an awful lot of players last summer as well. Martial, Ferreira, Carrasco, uh, Abdeno, the centre-back left as well. So they're a selling club and yet he's maintained them near the top of the table. Um, but it's just that style of play. You know, they can be pretty functional. There's a lot of narrow wins. They, they're not the most entertaining team to watch. And that's obviously put at the manager's feet. So... He's not been a, an unqualified success. He's not universally popular for the way his teams play. But if Monaco finish in the top three this season, and there's a good chance they will because they're fighting for that at the moment, second or third in the league, then I would say he's had a good season. Whether yeah. it's to keep him happy or the club happy or the fans happy, we'll have to wait and see. But for me, certainly in the circumstances, he's done a pretty good job. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, of course, people here in Portugal, uh, I suppose, <laughs> quite selfishly, they think they hope that he stays at exactly where he is and continues doing exactly what he does. Because, I mean, we've just talked about what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Portuguese players there. 
And uh, you mentioned that Monaco's project is to develop young players and, uh, you know, maybe make a profit on them. But if there's a uh, one or two or three Portuguese players in that in that uh, you know group, that obviously uh, is a big help to, to Portuguese football. And so. Uh, uh, yeah, and I, I think if he stays, Tom, I think that you know that will continue to be the, the case. It's, yeah. it's certainly a market that interests uh, Jardim, but not only Jardim. There's other people connected to the club who, or working at the club who who know Portuguese football really, really well. Right. There's a couple of agents who appear to have very good links with Monaco, which has eased a couple of those transfers. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not even sure Jardim is is the key component in that at Monaco, but it certainly helps to have a Portuguese coach who will know the. Portuguese football well and yeah I think if he if he stays and if if uh, Monaco do look to buy again this summer then yeah Portugal will certainly be one of the first markets they turn to yeah okay excellent Justa! Justa! moving on from Monaco Let's turn to a success story and somewhat of a surprising success story, uh, no less. Portugal have always struggled for strikers. Uh, it seems to be an age-old problem, but it appears that uh, Eder has found a new lease of life on loan at Lille. And uh, this will surprise people in Portugal because he really has struggled uh, whenever he's played for the national team, especially for the last couple of years or so. Uh, he was very good earlier in his career at Braga, then had a bad injury, uh, a cruciate knee ligament injury, and never really seemed to be the same player. But uh, from uh, from what we're hearing, uh, he's really been a, a huge success at Lille. Uh, what are people saying about him in France, James? Yeah, he, he's done well, Tom, and we didn't know him really over here when he arrived on loan in, in January. Um, but he, he's been good. He's been really good. He's scored goals. I think he's got five goals so far in the league. And he's, his general play's been good as well. He's, he's held up the ball pretty well. Um, he's got other players off him playing quite well. And it was a really important position for Lille because they, they lost Divock Origi last summer, who people will know went to Liverpool. And although he, he hadn't been outstanding actually at Lille, but he was important for them. Um, and before that, they'd had Salomon Kalou, who they never really replaced when he'd left the summer before. So striker's been a big problem for Lille. And they brought in three young strikers last summer, and none of them looked ready to lead the line uh, for Lille during the first half of the season. The goals count was very low. They struggled to hold the ball up in the final third. It was a real issue. And they, they made it a priority quite early during the autumn to bring in an experienced striker. Uh, during the January window but they were never linked with Adair they were linked with other players uh, playing abroad and a couple of players in France but when he came in we didn't know what to expect um, and he's he's done great he's he's given them that focus in the final third that they didn't have um, he seems to have fitted in pretty quickly off the pitch the dressing room at Lille at the moment is he, a happy place which wasn't always the case this season there were problems during the early months of the campaign so so far he's done really well they're, they're not a team that actually create that many chances Lille so to have got five goals and I think eight or nine appearances um, mm-hmm. is, is an impressive return he's scoring something like a goal every game and a half based on his, his minutes on the pitch and just this week we've had the first few bits of news in the paper about whether you know it's going to be a permanent move. Um, I think there's a little bit of movement from both sides towards that happening. Um, Lille do not have a lot of money. That's always an issue for them. But Adair's not one of those 
high-ranking strikers that you would imagine would cost a fortune. So it's something that could happen um, because, yeah, he, he's done really, really well. Um, whether it'll be enough for him to get a place in the Portugal squad, Tom, I don't know. Um, you know, but in, in terms of uh, form strikers who can give you that presence up front, he certainly has done a job at this level and I would imagine will be will be in the thoughts of the manager right now. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I think he will be in that Portugal squad, but... Uh, just for one simple reason, that Portugal have an absolute dearth of strikers. You know, they, they really don't have anyone else almost to, to choose. And so uh, I think he will uh, definitely make the squad, whether or not he makes the team or not. Of course, that's a, a different matter. But I uh, wouldn't be surprised at all if he got some playing time in France. Uh, very interesting. I, I think he's maybe one of these uh, confidence players as well, Ed, uh, because like I said, before he had that very bad injury at Braga a couple of years ago, he really did look a fantastic prospect, scoring lots of goals, uh, really impressed for Braga. Again, like you say, with his hold-up play. And, uh, you know, people thought that he was in for a big future. He got that injury and that kind of just uh, completely halted his progress. So, very good to hear. Uh, yeah. talk, talking of confidence, Tom, just to stay on that, I think that would be a factor here. Because when he came in, I would imagine it was made pretty clear to him that that position at Centreford was his. Right. And he played well enough. Yeah. Um, so, he hasn't... It's, it's a bit... It's a bit harsh to say he's had no competition, but it was a position that Lille certainly needed to fill. Um, so he's been given a great opportunity, and, and once he's got in the team and done well initially, there was always a chance he'd be given a run, you know, because uh, Guillaume, Tallo, these other strikers that Lille brought in last summer, haven't really got the experience or the presence yet. And I think that's maybe helped him, because he's he's become an important player very quickly, you know. Um, so, yeah, if, he, if he's a player that needs confidence, he's had the opportunity to build that up pretty fast over here. Yeah, excellent. Okay, uh, perhaps it sounds like uh, a move would be good for all parties. Let's hope uh, maybe it happens in the summer. Okay, uh, while we're talking about Lille, uh, let's have a quick update on a player we've talked about before, James, uh, Ronnie Lobs. Of course, he's uh, one of these. Uh, it was almost considered a boy wonder uh, three or four years ago in his uh, early days when he went to Manchester City at such a young age, made one or two appearances for them and uh, looked quite good, but. Uh, his career, again, seems to have uh, really failed to, to kick on. Uh, how's he done at Lille? I feel a bit sorry for Ronnie Lopez, uh, Tom. He, he struggled, actually. He, he's moved to Lille on loan in January, and the idea was that he'd get more games here than he would get at Monaco. He joined Monaco last summer from, from Manchester City and was, was a squad player there who, who just couldn't really get the games. So he moved to Lille um, because he knows the club. He was on loan here before... Um, but it's not really happened for him. I think he's made only three starts so far. He would have expected to make more appearances than that. So he's struggling at the moment to, to have the impact we know a player like him can have because he is a talented player. I think the, the problem he's got at Lille is that he plays second fiddle to Sofian Bufal. Sofian Bufal, followers of Portuguese football may not know, but he's one of the most exciting players we've got in League One right now. And he's a similar sort of player to Lopez in the sense that he's a number 10 or a winger. Um, he's, a, he's an individualist. He's technically very, very good. And he's, he's the main man at Lille, you know, and he's in good form. Uh, there's a lot of talk linking Buffal with a summer, league, a summer move to the Premier League. Uh, that seems to be inspiring Buffal at the moment. So while he's in the team, it's difficult for anybody else in that sort of style to have an impact. And that means that a lot of the time Lopez is seen as a substitute or someone who can come in to the team if Buffal or one of the other attacking players is out. So 
I would love to see Ronnie Lopez get a run of games somewhere, whether it's at Lille, whether it's back at Monaco, uh, because it's something he's not really had. Even when he was on loan at, at, at Lille last season, he had a run of games at times, but it would be four or five matches rather than 12 or 13 matches. Um, he needs to get some matches, uh, and whether that's going to be... A, I have my doubts whether he'll do that at Monaco, personally. There's a lot of competition for places there. Um, if Buffal does leave Lille in the summer, could it be that he stays here on loan? Well, maybe. Um, but right now, you know, it's difficult to it's difficult to judge him. And I guess the fear would be that if he doesn't start playing regularly somewhere, he might start to go backwards. Because you're absolutely right. You know, he's an exciting player. He's a talented player. But we just like to see him get some more games. You know. Yeah. 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 I think again, maybe also it's a. Uh kind of the the old tale we hit, we see so much of a, such a talented young player moving to a very big club uh, very big clubs really you know Manchester City and the, I mean let's face it he was never really going to break into that team was he yeah uh, you know they're spending uh, multi-million pound transfers every every summer and uh, and even at Monaco um, you know again like you said uh, lots of competition for places there maybe he would have been better off. Uh, it's easy to say now, of course, but uh, he was actually on Benfica's books before he moved to Manchester City as, a, I think, a 17-year-old. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe it would have been better if he'd stayed uh, in Portugal. But let's see, you know, he's still young. Uh, he's still got time to turn it around. Uh, we're, I'm sure we'll talk about him again in the future. OK, uh, now, James, uh, when we last spoke, I think it was about a year ago uh, on the pod, I remember you saying how particularly impressed you were with uh, Rafael Guerreiro. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, the left-back has continued to do well uh, whenever given a chance by Fernando Santos, the Portugal coach. Uh, he really has looked good for Portugal. I think he's only made five or six appearances, but every time he pulls on that Portugal shirt, he, he really does seem to be a, you know, a, a quite a polished performer. Uh, even I think he's, he's impressed even more for the full side than on his under-21 appearances. So, uh, of course, with Fabio Coentral's injury, uh, he'll definitely be on that plane. To, well, he doesn't need to get on a plane, does he? He lives in France. <laughs> uh, the question is, uh, has he continued to make good progress this season? He's had a he's had a good season, Tom. He's been pretty steady for Lorient. Um, he's played in most of their games, although he has actually been on the bench a couple of times for various reasons. He, he's done fine, you know. He's a he's a consistent performer on that left hand side for Lorient. He can play left back or left wing. Um, he's played in both positions. They've got a left back at Lorient called Vincent Le Goff, who they sometimes play behind him. So he's done fine. Has he has he progressed? To me, not really, no. I think he's pretty much the player he was. And I was expecting Guerrero to leave last summer. Um, and I think it would have done him good if, if he had. You know, whether he stayed one season too many at Lorient, possibly. Um, because of the type of player he is and the type of guy he is, it's not changed his attitude one bit. He's got a great attitude, Guerrero. He's, he's consistent. He's obviously very professional. Um, well, that's very... So- sorry, James, just to... Just to bump in there, uh, but in there, but uh, I just read a quote from him yesterday, and that really backs up exactly what you said there. I was actually quite impressed with the quote. He said that he had the chance, or an offer was made uh, for him to move to PSG, but he turned it down because he knew that if he went to PSG, uh, you know, he'd spend almost all the time on the bench, and he preferred to make sure that he'd be playing every week. So, yeah. kind of backs up what you say. You know, uh, you, you got to kind of applaud that attitude. A lot of 
players, a lot yeah. of young players especially, would have just, you know, grabbed that chance to, uh, you know, boost their bank balance probably, wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think that sums him up, really. I think, you know, the, the next move that Guerrero makes away from Lorient will be a big move. It will be to a, a good club, uh, maybe in France, maybe abroad, but he will want to get that right from a sporting point of view, I would imagine, more than anything else, because he's clearly keen on, on having the best career he possibly can. Um, I think he can go a long way, Guerrero. I mean, you mentioned how well he's played for Portugal, Tom. To me, that's that sums Guerrero up, because I think I maybe said this 12 months ago on the pod, but every time... Um, he's been asked questions. He's always he's always responded well. He, he steps it up no matter what he's asked to do now. And I think he'll be thinking about that now. The Paris Saint-Germain thing's very interesting. We've had a couple of young left-backs go to Paris Saint-Germain. Luca Dean, who's now on loan over at Roma, and Levin Kazawa, who joined them from Monaco. And, and neither of them can get in a team because Maxwell continues to play really, really well at left-back. So the fact Guerrero turned them down shows what a smart thinker he is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, my feeling is that this is the summer where he, he does need to move. Lorient are a, a good club. They've been a great club for Guerrero. But essentially, they're a mid-table side in France. And it's difficult for them to be any more than that. And he will be, I'm sure, with these people who advises him, you know, looking around Europe at where can I go in order to have a, a, a really good sporting challenge and also you know, not be guaranteed to play. He wouldn't go anywhere expecting you know, to be guaranteed to play, but where I can have a really good chance of playing, you know, being the number one left back. And that, I think, is, is where he'll be right now, and that's what he'll be thinking of doing. I mean, I, I did hear some talk from people in the game uh, this is going back six or seven months ago that Real Madrid, you know, had yeah. had a look at him and, and that doesn't surprise me. Um, would that be too big a leap, you know, Lorient to Real Madrid? You know, you don't see many players making that sort of move but, yeah, I can see why clubs even at that level would be interested in him because he, he's got good ability and he's got a good attitude and um, he's, had a, he's had a good season, Tom, but yeah, I think really almost more interesting about Guerrero is what happens next and I'm sure he'd be looking across those big three or four leagues in Europe and thinking, right, which club needs a player like me and, and is this the right time for me to make that move? Yeah, very interesting and uh, I think uh, quite an exciting player for us to keep, uh, to keep our eye on, like he said. OK, uh, finally, James, uh, let's talk about the goalkeeper, Anthony Lopez. Uh, I see he continues to be first choice at Lyon. Uh, he's been uh, he's been first choice, I think, for quite a few seasons now. Uh, how would you assess his campaign this year? Yeah, he, he's been he's been good, Tom. He's actually moved Lopez from kind of the category of being a, a new goalkeeper uh, a few years ago, uh, one of the best young goalkeepers in France. He was seen as at the time, to now just being generally seen as one of League One's best goalkeepers. You know, he that position he's got at Lyon he's never questioned. He's one of the first names on the team sheet there. Um, he knows the club really, really well, having come through the youth academy, and he's been he's been very consistent. And you know, he actually has quite a lot of work to do in that Leon team because they're, they're riding high at the moment. But they've built their uh, strong performances in the second half of the season, certainly on some very, very good attacking play. They're a free-scoring team. They've been on a great run of victories recently, and it's mainly because they do get men forward, not just the front three that they've developed a, a 4-3-3 system that's worked really well, but they push forward from midfield. And they have had a few problems at the back. They've got a centre-half called Samuel Umtiti, who's done really, really well. But one of the two of the players around him haven't been that secure all the time. So Lopez, you know, he's not just one of these goalkeepers who, who can afford to take it easy. He has work to do at Leon, and he makes very few mistakes. You know, He's a consistent goalkeeper. Um, he seems very happy there. You know, We've had a couple of big goalkeepers at Leon in the past. You know, We had Gregory Coupe 
who was there an awfully long time when they were, they were a great team in the 2000s, who also played for France. And we had Hugo Lloris, yeah, before he moved to Tottenham, who's obviously France's number one goalkeeper as well. And, and Lopez is in the same, in the same mold. He's a consistent performer. Um, he's at the top of his game, certainly in France right now. Uh, you wouldn't pick many League One goalkeepers ahead of him if you were trying to pick one out uh, as a, as a potential signing or as someone who's done well over the course of the last couple of years. So just another really, really consistent season from him. And if, he, you know, if he keeps that up, then, you know, he will attract interest from abroad, but he'll also potentially be a key man for this Leon squad who got a lot of young players like him and, and are, are really ambitious. Mm, excellent. Okay. That's very good to hear. Well, thanks, James, for sharing your expertise. That's uh, really interesting about uh, all these Portuguese players and especially looking forward to Euro 2016. Of course, a lot of them may act as tour guides, I suppose, (laughs) during this summer because, of course, they know (laughs) France very well uh, playing their football there. To to round off our 2016 talk, uh, I'd like to take advantage of the fact you're based in France and uh, ask you a couple of general questions about the, uh, the European Championship coming up. Uh, first of all, uh, what's the mood in the country ahead of the tournament? Is there a lot of excitement? And, uh, of course, I suppose we have to ask, uh, are there any fears as regards the security situation in, in the wake of the terrorist attacks in the past few months? The mood at the moment is actually still pretty low-key, Tom, to be honest. I'm in Lille, in the north of France, and yep. uh, we're one of the host cities. Um, it's been pretty low-key. We, we had an event last week, actually, where the, 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 uh, the trophies being doing a tour of the, um, of the country and being shown off in main squares. There's a few little events like that. I was actually in a sports shop yesterday. The merchandise is selling out, I can tell you that. There's a lot of football <laughs> shirts there. And there's actually a huge uh, number of Portugal shirts, might I say, in all the shops with, obviously, you know, strong historic links between... Uh, France and Portugal, from a, certainly from an immigration point of view, there's an awful lot of second-generation uh, Portuguese lads uh, I see around here, or well, French lads, but with Portugal shirts. They, uh, interesting. I think I read actually in Portugal uh, just recently that they uh, most, or at least the journalists were saying that Portugal would be the second most uh, widely supported team in France, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, behind obviously behind France. So yeah, I would say, I would say no doubt about that. Yeah, the, mm. the, certainly the sports shop I was in in the uh, Eurostar, well, the Eurolil shopping centre the other day, Tom. The mm. Portugal shirts were easily second behind mm. France shirts, uh, t-shirts as well. You know, so there'll be plenty of support for Portugal over here. But it's speaking more generally, it is still quite low key. That will probably change, I guess, in the next three or four weeks. There are a few security worries. Um, I've never seen Lake Keep newspaper over here, as an example, devote as much space to um, security issues or non-footballing issues, I guess you could say, as they have over the last four or five months. Uh, interviews with um, local uh, politicians, um, organising committee members about whether, for example, the fan zones, which you know are part of the course at these big tournaments now, whether they will go ahead. Um, you know, there was even yeah. mentioned that games might, in theory, be played behind closed doors. I don't think that will happen, but it just gives you a sense that so security is an issue. People are thinking about it. Obviously, the Paris attacks had a big impact, really, on the psyche of French people, actually, and um, so it will be a challenge. But I think, you know, I think the mood will be 
will be really positive when it comes around. And I think certainly from the beginning of May, I think people will start to think about it more and more because obviously we have the squads named and then those final friendlies. I remember actually the final friendlies before Brazil, before the World Cup two years ago, one of those was staged in Lille against Jamaica. And the atmosphere for that game here in Lille was absolutely tremendous. And the hotel where the France team was staying, which was just down the road from my flat, there were hundreds of fans outside that hotel when the players were going for their final training session, you know, the day before the match. So the French, they tend to be quite um, quite laid back and indifferent about tournaments uh, on home soil until they start. And when they start, if things go well for France, they will get behind their team in the tournament, almost like nobody else. So it might be a, a, it might be a slow burner. It might be right up until the day before the tournament before people get into it. But the, the atmosphere, when it does actually get going, should be absolutely fantastic over here. Yeah, I'm sure everybody in the football world, you know, really keeps their fingers crossed that uh, this will be a you know a great tournament and a football festival and uh you know especially with everything which's going on non-football wise uh to kind of get this, that sense of normality back and also uh getting back to the football now uh of course you mentioned there how the french fans uh may uh, really get behind their team and uh how would you say they're assessing their team's chances at the moment there's, there's certainly no lack of talent in that team is there and uh, no. do most people in France expect the host uh, you know, to go all the way and win it? The French are very pessimistic about their national team. I, yeah, I remember I was in France before the 1998 World Cup for six months and nobody I spoke to, I spoke to a lot of people about football that, 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 uh, that year, nobody gave them a prayer of winning it. Um, they, really? Yeah, Sounds they, familiar. Yes. It's the same in Portugal usually. Yeah, they can be pretty pessimistic about it. It often takes an outsider like me, you know, in English to come in and say, listen, you've got some fantastic players and a very good manager in Didier Deschamps. So, but I think, I think deep down they know they've got talented individuals in this team. In Didier Deschamps, they've got a manager who's absolutely ideal for this because he's, he's a winner. You know, he won the World Cup and the European Championship as, as a player and captain. Um, he's won trophies as a club manager. So they've got a great, great coach and they've had some good results recently. Um, in their friendlies obviously they've had only friendlies because of being host nation um, but more than anything they've been absolutely fantastic to watch and I think people that will help because the French you know they like they like their team to play well as well as win and it gives them something to get behind if they're entertaining to watch and they've certainly been that so I think yeah if you ask people who follow football seriously they would tell you that really the semi-finals is the minimum this French team should achieve on home soil They've got home advantage. It is a real advantage for the French if the team, if the fans get behind the team. We saw that in 1998. You know, older fans, they might remember it was even an advantage in 1984 when France won this tournament on home soil. So if the fans get behind them and the national mood is positive, then France do have a chance. Because like you say, Tom, they've got some great players and they've got some players in form. You know, Dimitri Payet, he's playing really well in England. He's come back into the team. Um, uh, Antonio Martial is an exciting player to have in that team. Yeah. Pogba, Matuidi. Few doubts about the defence. Centre centre back is the position that worries people. That's going to be uh, Varane and either Sacco at Liverpool or Koscielny at Arsenal. Varane doesn't always play at Real Madrid, so there's a few doubts about how to secure the defences. But if it means France have to outscore the opposition using the attacking talents they've got. Griezmann, as well, I should mention, Antoine Griezmann, who's had a fantastic season. Um, then fans you know, fans will love it. So my feeling is that they're certainly strong enough to get to the semi-finals, 
and they've got the potential to win it. And I think that will be the, the general assessment of this team when the tournament's ready to start. Yeah. Okay, well, great. Uh, of course, it'd be good to see the host. That's very interesting, actually. One thing I didn't realise, uh, you just reminded me there, that's uh, France winning the uh, 84 uh, European Championships as well. That was, of course, they had that... Uh, semi-final against Portugal as everyone in Portugal remembers one of the greatest games of all time I think that's considered yes. France just won 3-2 right at the end but, uh, is that, so is that uh, two wins out of two <coughs> in uh, the, the times France have uh, hosted tournaments they've never hosted a tournament that they haven't won is that correct? In, in the recent <coughs> that's the case yeah and, and yeah. talking about that game actually Tom the Portugal <laughs> game I, I, you know they still talk about that over here in, in a funny way that 1984 generation has been eclipsed by the 1998 generation which is, is just the passing of time you know right. yeah. but they're still highly regarded obviously Platini's had his problems off the yeah. pitch in recent months but yeah, he's still seen as France's greatest player by the French I think outside France that tends to get debated a bit more uh, mm. with it in uh, Platini or, De- or Zidane but in France there's not really a debate about that Platini is still seen as the number one really that's, uh, that's very yes, interesting yeah that's very interesting is, <laughs> certainly is and Jean Tigana is still famed for the run that he made in that semi-final to set up Platini's yeah. late winning goal and there was actually a still photo of that I think it was in L'Equipe magazine that I was reading over the weekend where they are running a series of, of shots from previous tournaments and that run from Tiganar is pretty much the most famous moment of his career. So that match against Portugal, I can assure you, is still talked about over here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, maybe we'll have a repeat uh, just uh, in the final, uh, but a different result this time, please. <laughs> <laughs> that would be lovely. <laughs> okay, well, uh, now just to finish up, uh, I'm going to focus on a story which I'm pretty sure most Portuguese football fans are unaware of. Uh, I certainly was unaware of until James drew my attention to it. Uh, There's another Portuguese coach who's making a name for himself in France, uh, apart from Leonardo Jardim, and his name is uh, Rui Almeida, and he's enjoying a fabulous season at Red Star, which is a French club from the Paris suburbs, uh, I think in the second division, is that right, James? Yes. Yeah. Okay. can you uh, please tell us what he's done this season and why he has so impressed everyone involved in French football? Yes, I thought this was worth flagging up, Tom, because Rui, Rui Almeida was completely unknown in France when he arrived last summer. He took over at Red Star, which is a small club in the Paris suburbs, um, who have very little history in recent seasons. They're a famous old club in France, but very little history of doing well on the pitch. And he was really plucked from nowhere. Um, he is 45 years old. Uh, he's got a pretty mixed coaching background. He's worked uh, in an awful uh, lot of jobs, but without really uh, getting his name out there. If you look at his CV, he's got things like the Syria under-23 coach on his, uh, <laughs> on his wow. resume. So there's a, yeah, he was a complete unknown, and we didn't know what to expect from him. But he has done a terrific job. And um, the reason he's done such a good job is Red Star um, were, were newly promoted where one of the favourites to be relegated back from League 2 into the third division in France and they've actually challenged for promotion. I think they might miss out. They're starting to have a few wobbles in the running but they've done much, much better than expected. And I think why why Rui Almeida needs to take credit for that is that if you look at Red Star, they're greater than the sum of their parts. This is a team without star players um, and they've done really well. They've got a very fluid 
uh, style of play. They've normally used a 4-3-3. They keep the ball very well. Um, they they don't score a lot of goals. They don't create a huge number of chances, but they're very solid. They're very difficult to beat. And I would say Red Star, more than any team in League 2 this season, Tom, I've read opposition managers and players say, this is the best team we've faced this season, more after facing Red Star than after facing anybody else. Mm-hmm. So the manager certainly has to take an enormous amount of credit for that because he's turned a team that really were expected to struggle into one that has done has done really well and even if they do miss out on promotion you know finishing top five or six would be a great achievement um there's players in that team who've played in league two before and i've watched and they've been average league two players and they're potentially having the best seasons of their career so mm-hmm. i'm not au fait with exactly what Rui Almeida is doing on the training ground or anything like that but what i do know is that in terms of the way red star have played and the results they've had He's certainly doing a good job, and he's starting to get a little bit of coverage over here, having done well. If they get promotion, he'll get an awful lot of coverage because he'll be playing in the French, he'll be managing in the French first division next season. But even if they don't get promoted, he's a name that will be starting to get some attention and potentially being on the radar of a few bigger clubs over here in France. And if that happens, I guess he'll also be in the radar of some clubs over in Portugal as well. Yeah, very, very interesting, James. Yeah, and great story. It's definitely one to keep an eye on. Perhaps next season there'll be two Portuguese managers in <laughs> League One. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> OK, well, thank you so much for your time, James. That's absolutely fantastic. Brilliant insight, as usual. You're welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me. OK, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back for more in a couple of weeks as the season reaches its, its climax, the club season, and of course, Euro 2016 gets ever nearer. So, até lá!